at our spiritual practices and the way in which we experience God in everyday life. And so we know we bring our humanness to this. And so our Lenten sermon series is a series called No Cure for Being Human. Now there's a book by that title by Kate Bowler and Pastor Andrew is leading a, a book study on that on Wednesday nights during Lent. This sermon series doesn't really focus around that book, but it focuses on the human condition. So if you say, well, how relevant is the preaching at your church? Well, I'm preaching to humans about the human condition. I can't get any more relevant than that. I'm especially grateful to Andrew for preaching uh, for me last week while I was away over the weekend, and his sermon was Handling Disappointment, and that's archived on our YouTube channel, our, our Facebook channel, our, you know, you can find it a, a number of ways, and I was so happy that I was not disappointed because when I got back into the office on Monday, my, my guitar was safe and sound there in my office, my Fender Strat, so I'm very excited about that. I hope you all come next week, or if, if you are one who watches with us each and every weekend or sometime later in the week, I really want you to watch next week. Um, has anyone here been angry before in your life? Or have you ever encountered somebody else's anger? No, anger is a, a real human emotion that we can honor, but we have to be careful with how we handle our anger and, and understand what anger's purpose is and what it does. That's, that's next week. But this week... Uh, if you've been paying attention as we've been walking along, it's all about rites of passage. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Andrew's uh, children's time talked about kind of some, some milestone events that take place in a little person's life from walking to riding a bike and to losing teeth. We have these milestones, but we have, we have milestones that we see, we have rites of passage that we see in all of the cultures in the world. And what is one culture's kind of rite of passage may seem weird to us, and yet to them there is something sacred about it. It is, it is th something that, that forms and builds families as they celebrate together. Entire communities can be a part of it. Communities of faith can be a part of it. And this phrase, rites of passage, was really first coined in the early 20th century by a, a Belgian anthropologist by the name of Arnold van Gennep, who really looked at all the rites of passages. He, he coined the phrase. But he noticed that in all of the cultures that he studied, there is a real difference. There is a line between secular rites of passage and community of faith, or sacred rites of passage. And so, what we want to do is focus on the sacred rites of passage, the ones that we celebrate as families, as, as uh, social networks, but especially as a community of faith. Now, in lots of cultures, the, the big ones really are a coming-of-age kind of story. In so many cultures, as soon as a woman has had her first menstrual cycle, there is some kind of a, a great celebration Within our Jewish brothers and sisters, there are bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs where you have finally arrived. You are a full standing, quote unquote, adult, even though you're 13. I don't know how, how, that, how that works. Uh, last weekend, we were in Millennial Park for a little bit of time. And if I say the big bean, do you know what I'm talking about? That, that artwork in Chicago, and it's always crowded. And, and Janet and I get down to, to Chicago quite often. And... Uh, it's not uncommon 
to have a large gathering of uh, Latinos and Latinas, and there is a, a young girl who is dressed so beautifully, her quinceanera. It's a coming of age, the 15-year-old milestone. It's, it's wonderful, and oftentimes those garments, you know, go back so many generations. Maybe they've been taken in or let out, but, you know, it's, it's a real generational thing for an entire family and network of people to come together and celebrate. Some of these rites of passage we don't understand. Many of us remember Pastor Peace. Pastor Peace served here as an associate pastor for three years, and he's from South Korea. And we know that there are some things like mandatory military service, you know, for a couple of years, but he was telling the staff a story about a rite of passage that to us seems dangerous. Apparently, in the part of South Korea that he grew up in, there is a tradition that uh, a, a young boy is taken into the village or into the city by the father, dropped off there, and said, see when you get home. A journey. Can you imagine if I were to take an eight-year-old child downtown and said, see when you get home? You know, I would... I, as a parent, would be a mess, but we know that there's community awareness, and I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone knew that Peace was the son of Peace's father, and they, they helped that child navigate its way back home just because we don't understand other cultures and their rites of passage does not mean that they aren't valid and incredibly important for those areas. And so I have a couple of texts, and you know, when we look at rites of passage in Scripture, we have a few, but, but there is the big one that goes all the way back to 2,000 years before Jesus even walked on the earth. God kind of put down a mandate of, of a rite of passage for, for the, the boys, and this is what it says in Genesis 17. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. We have this generational kind of a thing here. Every male among you must be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you shall be circumcised when he is eight days old. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. This is done in a ceremonial fashion. It is the time when this child is actually given this, this name, the family is named, and I am so glad that, that, you know, I didn't learn how to circumcise when I was in seminary. Instead, they taught me all about baptism. That's a, a far better way uh, for us to incorporate people into, into our, the life of our church. But I read that because it is a, a real deliberate rite of passage. And more than 2,000 years after that was given, Jesus comes to the earth, and Jesus is eight days old, and we see this in Luke. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male, male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a, tear, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. These are the words of God for the people of God, and we give thanks to God for this. But what we know is that these rites of passage within their community 
and their ethnicity and their religion were so intertwined. But these rites of passage were important to the holy family. To the holy family, they were faithful to them. They were obedient to that covenant. And so what I want to do is I want to first tell you what three things I want to accomplish. And I'm going to tell you what three things I want to accomplish so that you, intelligent, good-looking congregants, can hold me accountable to make sure that I do the three things that I say I am going to do. The first thing I'm going to do is define what I mean in this context by rites of passage or by milestones. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take a look at some of the milestones that communities of faith and families that are parts of community of faith that, that, that they engage in. And finally, I'm going to tell you why I think it's important. You know, the, answer the so what question. Why is this important? So you're, you're going to hold me accountable? Yes. I expect nothing else. Hold me accountable for this. So let me tell you what, what my definition, where I come at this. You know, by definition, rites of passage are rituals or events uh, or experience that marks or constitutes major uh, life changes, major milestones in life. It is a rite, a ceremonial practice of the church, a ceremonial act, almost an initiation in some times. It is accompanied by ritual, an established form or ceremony. And we have our book of worship that is filled with rituals that are, are, are steps along the life. But a milestone, you know, that was just serving as mileposts to help us show how much time we have to go. But we talk about I've gotten past that milestone of a significant part of, of uh, progress. Milestones. Many of you know that I spend two weeks on the Outer Banks of North Carolina every year. And that's a really thin little island in between the ocean and the sound there. And everything that is advertised tells you what milepost it is at. So from my house, if I want to go to the Wright Brothers uh, Memorial, I know that that's at milepost 7.5. So if when the kids were little, how much longer? I could say exactly. You know, it says milepost 4.5. Let's do math. How long do we have to go? So it's a teaching moment too. But these milestones, these rites of passage, I think what's important for us to remember is that they are going somewhere. They are going somewhere. They're, they're making their way to a finish line. I have never run uh, a marathon, but, you know, there are mile markers that are posted there, and, and that's to let us know how far we've gone. Now, to me, that's cruel because I would say, I'm gassed right now, and it's just mile post four, you know, and, and, but we move forward with these, these markers in life. We, all of us, pass milestones. And what I want to say to you, and I stand by this, nothing ever truer has been said, it is much easier to pass a milestone than a kidney stone. Absolutely, 100%. So let me just summarize my definition. Oh, that, that was slow, but you got it, good. Uh, let me just summarize again what I mean by this. Rites of passage, formal or not, are life's markers. They are life's road signs for helping us to find our place and our time in the cycle of life events to help us establish or to formulate our identity. And all of the different venues and experiences of our living help us do this. Because rites of passage, we learn to celebrate as well as to accept the end of things, even and including the end of life. 
Rites of passage become the experiential and even organic phrases or phases for us where we learn how to wait our turn, how to find our part. And so, can we check the box? I, I said what I, I was going to define what I mean. We, we did that. Now, there are so many different kinds of rites of passage. On Wednesday night, I asked my small group just to name what some of those are. What are some of the, the milestones in life, secular or religious? And we came up with a really long list. And, and what was seen as a milestone or a big moment in life for one person maybe was something that I wouldn't resonate with at all. And as I go through some of these milestones, I have to acknowledge that not everyone here is going to have an experience of all of these. Now, in our society, for most people, there are three major events in life. And the first is birth, right? The second would be marriage and the last death. And all three of those are marked by traditional Christian kinds of activities. But it is sadly within the context of our world, for most people, those are the only three times they ever come into a church. And one of them, they're not even cognizant of the fact that they are there. Actually, two of the three, they're probably not even cognizant of it. But let's take a look at some of these. And the first is conception and birth. And churches that really celebrate milestone ministries, as soon as there is a word that there is a pregnancy, especially if somebody is far away from home. And in our culture right now, we move far away from grandmas and grandpas. And I've served churches when we find out that someone is pregnant. And and I think we used to have this ministry here, that there was kind of someone to walk with that mother, or walk with that family to help them uh, understand what is going to be happening. And and so the, the very first one is birth. And we have baby showers. My daughters were born when I was serving two different churches. And in both of those churches, they had not had an appointed pastor have a child while serving that church for over 50 years. You better believe these congregations were excited that their pastor was going to have a baby. I just think about how much joy uh, little Claire and Clay brought to a, to a community of faith. Our own uh, Michelle is here, and he, he was not a baby, but he, he, he grew up while he was right before our own eyes here. A wonderful way to celebrate But we know that birth can also have a a sacred presence. My mother-in-law was present for the birth of our first child, and she has said time and time again that the single most sacred moment of her life, and by sacrament we mean God giving of God's self to us, was witnessing the birth of a grandchild. It was a holy and religious experience to us. But it leads to, to the second milestone within the life of the church, and that would be baptism. For, for us here in the United Methodist Church, we can baptize at any age, but I would say 95% of baptisms are for children who are little. And this is celebrated through litany. There is a ritual that goes with it. There are vows that are taken, and, and for the families gather generations deep. Oftentimes, they're wearing a historic family baptismal gown, sometimes going back one or 200 years old. And at the end of that baptism, I walk the child through the congregation, and I, I, I talk words. It's, it's an opportunity for us as a community of faith to renew our covenant commitment to be the kind of church where this young one can grow Learn, be safe, learn how to think critically that they may live faithfully. And as they continue with us, they get to the point where we give the third grade Bible. How many of you received a Bible when you were in the third grade? Was that the tradition of the church that you went to? 
A lot of people still have those. There are many folks for whom that's the only Bible they're ever really going to have in their lifetime. But prior to the pandemic, when we gave our third graders Bible here, we made ritual out of it. We made it a religious ceremony. The children would, would, would choose a sponsor, and they would be given the Bible with a little plate of honey so that they could taste the sweetness. We made it ritualistic. We celebrated it as a community of faith. But next, and especially for our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, the first communion is a really big deal. And, you know, in the Methodist church, we say you can have communion at any age. You don't have to be a member of a church at all. And, and we say, why is that? Well, if that child doesn't understand, why are they receiving communion? We leave it up to the parents. That child is receiving communion because even though they don't fully understand maybe what they're receiving, they will understand if they are being excluded from full life, from full participation in the life of the church. And John Wesley, our founder, believed that because the Holy Spirit is called on, because we ask the Holy Spirit to be present, that there can be a moment of salvation simply in receiving Holy Communion. We move forward into confirmation in church membership, a proclamation of faith. Our young people take for themselves the, uh, the vows that their parents made at their confirmation. If they're coming in, a grown-up is coming in, maybe it's their first church, it's their pronunciation of faith. If they're transferring in, we welcome them through litany, through ritual, through acceptance. It's a community builder. But then the next one, especially for churches that their youth ministry is built around these milestones, this next one is interesting. And it happens about the same time in life as the quinceanera. It's best to get someone at 15 or, or 16, and, and it's called the maturity and purity milestone. And I parenthetically call this things that happen in cars. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, when, it's, when a young person is going to be getting their driver's license, can we celebrate that as a community of faith? It's amazing each and every year how often somebody in the church raises up as a joy or a concern the fact that their child just got their learner's permit, right? I don't know if that's just warning everybody uh, or not, but it's, it's a milestone. But this purity, uh, you know, a lot of churches have the young kids sign a purity covenant that is beautiful. We move forward and we get to, to graduation. What a wonderful event that families can celebrate. Uh, we, we celebrate our graduates. We bring them up here. We ask them, how, what are the ways in which we as a community of faith have touched them? What do they remember most about our ministries? We hear about their plans and their excitement, and we pray for them. We have more ritual. Now, notice some of the big milestones I did not list. I did not list turning 18. For me, the ritual was I had to go to the post office and register for the draft, right? I don't know if 18-year-old boys still do that. Everything's online probably, probably now. I also didn't mention turning 21. There are all kinds of rituals that go with that in secular society that, that we don't celebrate here in the church. But now we're into adulthood, and for many, the next milestone is that milestone of marriage. Marriage. To take vows... To one another. One of the things that, that kind of wounds me, and, and I wonder how it's going to work with my own daughters, is there are less and less church weddings before God and congregation. 
There are less and less times when, when a couple, when two human beings come together and want to give themselves to each other, they choose to not do it in the church, they choose to do it somewhere else, maybe be officiated by a friend who has an online certificate for a wedding. What we miss out there is the ritual. We, we don't include God in those kinds of celebrations. And, you know, what do we do when a marriage doesn't work out? When a relationship doesn't work? We have, I have a colleague in the, the ministry in the United Methodist Church at the Wisconsin Annual Conference. Fantastic human being. Went to the same seminary I went to. We overlapped for, for just one year. And her, her marriage came to an end. And she was married in a church. And so they held a service of separation in a church. They invited God to be present. They took vows to one another about the ways in which they were going to co-parent. And the family and the friends and the church members that were there had a wonderful way to really embrace both of those two people. And I'm sure that that really meant the world to the children that were a part of that ceremony the part that their union gave to them, you know, rites of passage, rites of passage, as I said earlier, sometimes rites of passage kind of bring note to something that has come to an end. There's home ownership, you know, there's all this adulting with, with owning a home, and, and, and a lot of times uh, a family throws a, a blessing of the house ceremony, a pastor or a priest come and, and we bless the house that it may be a haven of peace, that all who come through there might feel welcomed and feel God's presence. But then, if you choose, and if your choice is blessed by having, being able to have it, there is parenting. And a lot of people say that is the single biggest change you're ever going to experience in your life. There are a lot of uh, family therapists that run classes called whitewater parenting because there are times, especially when our kids get to adolescence, uh, you know, we're just holding on, trying to get safely down, wanting to stay in the boat. And then there's retirement. And gone are the days for the most part, where somebody worked 30 or 40 years in the same company and they threw a company party, the community of company, and they gave that person a gold watch and sent them off. I have been a part of a church that identified everyone who had retired in the last year and once a year, they would throw a luncheon for the newly retired people and there was litany around it but it was also an opportunity to celebrate the coming to an end of that, but it also was an opportunity then for the church to invite the newly retired people who are still young, who still are able to use all the experience that they have and really make a difference. And so many retired people are disillusioned because retirement is not what they thought it was going to be. And yet by having this ceremony, this rite of passage, this milestone within the church, they are able to find ways to use their giftedness with the community of faith with the community of faith that is beautiful. That life continues on after retirement and then it is death. And we have celebrations of life. We have services of death and resurrection. We have gatherings where we're outside and I say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as I did just this Monday uh, midday for Mary Lotes. And there is a place where the family can come and stand on sacred ground and meet them there.
And so there is quite this sweep from conception to death, but there are these milestones, and we need to find ways to allow a community of faith to celebrate with individuals and with families, to claim that sacredness. And so Paul, in writing to Timothy, as he knows he's about to get to the finish line, says, as for me, I'm already being poured out as a libation, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. As I mentioned, not everyone's going to celebrate all of those milestones. But in your mind, friends, what are the most important rites of passage that you've experienced in your life? What are the most important? And ask yourself the question, why are they so important? What have you done to make them ritualistically important? And so I've given definition. I've explained a few of those. But now I need to offer my thought on why it's so important. Why would I use a Sunday in Lent to talk about these things? Friends, we have been created for family. We have been created for friends. We've been created for faith communities. We have been created to belong. And when we belong to a group, it gives us an opportunity to celebrate together, to walk together, iron sharpening iron, as we make our way closer and closer to everlasting life. As one person said, and I believe this, and this is my sentence of truth, as God's family, we need to pause at important moments to acknowledge God's presence and faithfulness and celebrate as a community how God is at work in our lives, how God is at work. And one of the ways we do that is by celebrating the milestones in our lives. And so... In a prayer that I wrote for last night's service, I said this, from our morning cry to the day when evening gently closes in, you are with us each step of the way, carrying us when we don't have the necessary strength. And so friends, one of the ways that God works us and walks with us from milestone to milestone to milestone is through our friends, through our family, through our communities of faith, We've all heard of the poem, Footprints in the Sand, but that individual is looking back on life, kind of like Paul is looking back on his life. And at each stage notices that there are two steps, two sets of footprints, one for the individual and one for God. But in the darkest times of that life, maybe those periods of life where rituals, rites of passage weren't apart, there's only one set of footprints And so the author boldly calls God on what is up with that. And God says, it was in those times that I was carrying you. And friends, rites of passage and milestones, especially the difficult ones when things come to an end, maybe God is carrying you through your friends, through your family. And I know it to be true because I have seen it with my own eyes in my six years here through a community of faith, a community of faith that cares for one another, walks with one another, prays for and with one another. Improperly observing our rites of passage, our milestones, God is at work. And if we leave God out of those celebrations, it's only going to hurt us.
May God bless all of us as we continue to march forward through the ages, celebrating each and every step. Amen.